Guess what? It's time for your favourite show. Yes, we're talking pet chat. Welcome. And Daniel Carrington, welcome to the show. Dr. Paul McCarthy. I didn't even have your microphone on then, Danny. So rude. Okay, I'm back. G'day. <laughs> Lovely to be there here. There he is. And how are you, Paul? I'm very well. Better for seeing you, of course, Sarah. Oh, of course. Oh, gee, you're nice to me. Uh, but firstly, Daniel Carrington, welcome to the show. And you've brought in a lovely lady to uh, tell us some exciting things. With me today, I've got Mel Kerr. She's from Balance Paws. And we're going to talk about socialisation with our puppies and dogs at doggy parks. <sighs> There's more and more doggy parks. We're utilising them. Our cities are great in terms of providing doggy parks. But we also need to be responsible parents. Now, Daniel Carrington, you've brought in our expert today, Mel Kerr, because we've got all these dog parks opening up, which is fantastic. But along with that becomes uh, potential issues and concerns if you're not looking after your dogs in an appropriate way. That's right. We've had Mel talk to us about animal or dog behaviour before because that's what she specialises in. And I just thought this is a good topic. And I've been hearing, actually, overseas, you know how more and more people living in apartments. Yes. So doggy parks become handy. Yeah. But apparently now apartments, developers on the top floor, on the roof, are doing doggy parks. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah, because we're all realising we want our pets with us and we need to exercise them. But, Mel, the thing with doggy parks is it's a great idea but we've got to be aware of it, being good parents. When we introduce a puppy to a doggy park or an adult dog, Mm -hmm. can you give us some pointers? Where do we go from there? So in regards to puppies, I wouldn't advise taking a young puppy to a dog park. Um, They can be quite overwhelming. Usually the excitement and arousal levels in dogs is quite high at those sort of parks. And young puppies are not really ready and prepared for that. So dogs of probably six months age and over would be looking at being ready as long as they've had some basic training and have been well socialised with other known dogs to those pet parents. You, you bring up a good point, and wow, six months, you know. Some people think, oh, yeah, the pup's three months old, I'll yep. take it to the doggy park. Yep. But I've heard of issues where uh, that pup, for example, mm-hmm. has gone and it's quite young yep. and some other dog it's not known has it. scared it. Yep. in some particular way. So there's a really critical um, block in their development when they're young Mm. and they go through fear periods. So if the young pup is actually going through one of these fear periods while it's at the dog park and a big, friendly goofy dog rushes it doesn't necessarily have to be a dog trying to attack it but just a dog approaching um, in an unpleasant way can affect that dog for long term. So what do we need to do, first of all, if it's a puppy, to get our puppy ready for that? Um, We need to socialise and expose our puppy to lots of different things and we need to do that in a way that is as positive as possible. And a dog park is probably not the best way to socialise your puppy because it's so unpredictable and owners don't have control over that environment. So my best advice is to um, socialise your young pups with dogs that you know Mm. and dogs that are well balanced and well behaved. And then when the time comes, when they're six months old, let's go to to a doggy park, what precautions do we take? Do we still leave them on a lead? Do we let them run around? Um, It it depends on the dog. Normally your enclosed dog parks are off-leash areas. Mm -hmm. Um, I would definitely visit the park first and I'd visit the park on a few occasions at different times just to see how many people are there, what sort of dogs are there um, and what the dogs are like. I would take the dog on a quieter day um, to begin with 
maybe make a few doggy friends and also keep the distance. So make sure you can recall your dog back off other dogs because that's one of the main problems is owners go to these parks and don't realise that they still have to have control over their dogs. I'm so surprised <clears throat> that there hasn't been more issues. I, I live near the Spears Me Point um, Park, yep. doggy park, yep. and some days when I drive past on a weekend, it Crazy. is chaotic. I think, oh my goodness, I wouldn't cope in there, let alone no. a dog. Not, not saying that it's not a great thing. No, I think it's a no. brilliant thing. Just saying it's obviously very popular, yeah. particularly because it is new as well. And that's the thing we've got to keep in mind is not all dogs are really sociable like that. So they're like people. Some people love to go out and socialise. They love to go to nightclubs and parties and festivals and things like that. Other people, on the other hand, don't like that. Now, dogs are exactly the same. So it's about knowing your dog. So if I've got like a little... Chihuahua yep. puppy, and I want to bring it to the uh, doggy park. Mm-hmm. Is it okay to just put it in my handbag and just walk it around? <laughs> um, <laughs> have you done this, Jay? <laughs> Let's not touch on the handbag thing. <laughs> um, it's like this is the doggy park, and then we go home. Like that's the yeah, first visit. Yep. So that li- little dogs, especially, that's when I would be visiting alone without my dog mm-hmm. to make sure I can try and pick a quieter time to slowly get that dog used to. To being at the dog park with other dogs. And what's your suggestion with adult dogs? Adult dogs, same thing. They need to be well socialised. The older a dog gets, generally, and I'm generalising here, it's not every dog, but the older a dog gets, the less they... Um, the less inclined they are to socialise with strange dogs. Mm. So if you've done it from, you know, six months' age and they're fine, that's great. But if you've rescued a dog that's four, I would be really looking at socialising it with dogs that you know before you dump it into a dog park. Now, let's turn it the other way around. Mm -hmm. We visit a doggy park regularly and we see what we think could be a new puppy Mm -hmm. coming to the dog park, Mm -hmm. a new owner. Yep. What is our responsibility in that regard with our dog that's running wild? If that was me, I would try to give that new owner some distance. Mm-hmm. So ensure that your dogs aren't rushing that new little puppy or the new rescue dog or whatever they've they've got, um, just to ensure that they have that nice experience there. Mm-hmm. So ensuring that we have control over our dogs, even in an uh, off-leashed area, we still need to be able to call them back to us. So, no, they're really, really good pointers. Um, if if you have want to revisit some of this information, um, Mel has put it up on her Facebook page, Balance Paws, have a look and take a read and yep. a think about it because yeah, I think it's worthwhile. There's a few links up there. I've, I've popped up all the leash-free um, areas in Newcastle and Lake mm-hmm. Macquarie, some dog park etiquette um, articles and also a really good video on dog body language at the dog park. So we've spoken about socialisation, which is fantastic. And the other side of it, which I think uh, Dr Paul McCarthy will speak about later, uh, is from an illness and health point of view Mm. with our pooches. Which is really important too, especially with puppies. Definitely. Welcome to the show, Paul in Charlestown. Now, you've got a question for Dr Paul. Your dog is licking quite a lot. Yay. How are you guys? Well, thank you. Yeah, what he does, it's a Shetland sheepdog. And what he does, he'll lick like you wouldn't believe. Um, yeah, he just what, lick, 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 everything's licking. What, what areas is he licking? Uh, all over you. So he's licking you? Yeah, he licks up. Yeah. So what he's actually doing is called appeasement behaviour. So yep. um, when dogs are nervous in a situation, they'll try and appease any um, individuals around them to try and make sure that they remain safe. So that lick is actually saying, I like you, please don't hurt me. I like you, please don't hurt me. 
Um, and it, it, it lets us know, though, that your dog does have a, a little bit of an anxiety about um, being around people and therefore uh, allow that lick to occur because um, it does meet the dog's need to appease. When you're over that, just turn your shoulders or, or turn your body in a direction that doesn't face the dog. So what you've actually said in dog language is enough. Um, okay. Yeah, so cause we don't want to sort of just... Uh, if you um, reprimand the dog for licking you, what you've actually done is thrown petrol on that fear fire. Um, so we want him to actually feel that he's been appeased, that he's, he's, he's feeling safe. But when it's getting too much, you just turn your back or turn your shoulder. And what you've actually said is, we're all, we're all good, we're all friends, but I don't need you to continually reinforce that appeasement behaviour. OK, because sometimes I'll, I'll say, look, stop it, stop it, hey, stop. Yeah, and what that'll actually do is it, it puts fear back into the dog and he'll then need to appease you more. <laughs> so he's going to oh. lick more. He's going to lick more. <laughs> but what, what you've said oh, is that there, there is a risk of you hurting him and so he's then saying, right, I need to make sure I don't get hurt so I'm going to really lick you now because I need you to be my friend. And, Dr Paul, you know, you're so right because when you watch... A pack of dogs together and you watch this behaviour, this is exactly what happens. Correct, yeah. You know, that's how they deal with it and we need to talk on their level, their language and what you're saying to turn away is exactly what happens Yeah, out there. that's what another dog would do when the behaviour is <laughs> that's not wanted. Right. <laughs> yeah. How amazing is that? Like, Paul, I had no idea and I, I, I would say Paul in Charlestown's going, wow, so that's that's what, it, like, that's such a simple thing when you know what to do. Yeah, so what, what's actually happening is he's doing, he's doing it to try and stay safe. Okay, because what we've, what we've, we've had like dog dogs before, like sheep dogs, and they've never done it. Done it. Oh, they've done it for not a very long period of time. Yeah, so it's, a, it's actually a normal behaviour of all dogs to do an appeasement yep. behaviour. Uh, it just means that your Shetland has a little bit more anxiety than your previous dogs, and just needs that reinforcement that they're safe. Okay. Gizzy was licking me a lot the other day. I thought, what's going on? And then I realised I had chocolate on my hands. So. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe not the same thing. Lynn from Fennel Bay, you've got a question. I do. Hello, everybody. Hi. Um, I have a um, a cat that we've had only for about two years, but she's about between five and seven years old, according to the vet. Um, she was, by all accounts, a stray that my daughter um, found at her place of work, so we inherited her. Um, she's very fluffy. According to her behaviour, she's very much like a, um, a rag doll, so she sort of goes all floppy when you try and do anything with her. She's very compliant and all the rest of it. Okay. But she, about, about probably close to maybe eight months ago, she developed this weepy eye. I started to clean it initially, and that was didn't really do anything. So I had some... Um, I got some Clawsig, and because it said on the, the net that I could use that, but that didn't make any difference either. So I thought, right, time for the vet. So I took her down to the vet... And he suggested that maybe she had herpes virus. Yeah. So he ordered some Doxy 100 eye cream and yep, some Optocin. Yep. Yeah, and I figured it was doxycycline. Yeah. Um, so we started to use that. Three days into the treatment, um, her eye, the one that was affected, became really ulcerated. Mm -hmm. So I went back to the vet and I saw a different vet at the same practice. And he sort of was just, hmm, okay. He said, well, we'll have to stop that treatment and gave me some um, uh, 
it's chloramphenicol with some um, cortisone in it okay. to clear up the ulceration. So it did all that. And, I, and so then I, I rang him back and I said, so what now? We've cleared up the ulceration. And he said, just clean it. Really, unless you want to go down the path and find out exactly what that bug is. Anyway, here we are eight months down the track. And it's still, it's just one eye. Yep. When I go online, she doesn't have all those other symptoms that they talk about with herpes virus, like sneezing and runny eyes and episodes of looking like she's got a cold. She doesn't have any of that. It's just this mucky eye that is quite persistent, sometimes much worse, some days much worse than others. Okay. So I was just so, wondering, do you have a clue? Yeah. So the first thing to remember is that herpes is never going away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so, like cold, so it flares up every now and again, doesn't it? That's right. Now, I... I there's a couple of questions I have. That the first is, um, and just for all listeners out there, if you have an ulcer on an eye, we don't ever give an ointment that has cortisone in it. In that mm. cortisone will worsen ulcers. So uh, I think possibly what may have happened is that the, that there wasn't an, an ulcer on the eye for the vet to have prescribed a cortisone-based cream. He was probably just trying to remove inflammation from the surface of right. the eye. Right, yeah. okay. So, okay. yeah, so if you ever look at an ointment and it contains hydrocortisone, you never put that into an eye with an ulcer. Right. Now, um, there's a couple of things that could be happening with your cat. The first is that there may have been uh, the virus has caused the drainage from that eyelid to be affected and the nasolacrimal duct is blocked. So there's a little duct that we all have that runs our tears from our eyes down to our nose. So when we're watching a sad movie and we cry, our nose runs because that duct is patent, is open. Now, when you've got a cat that has a, a, a viral infection, sometimes scarring can occur in that nasolacrimal duct and the fluid is not able to drain down to the nose, so it will always drain out over the edge of the lower eyelid. So that could be the first thing. And that, that can be checked for you. You can anaesthetise your cat and actually pass a small catheter into that duct. And often flushing that will open the duct back up and allow the tears to drain. So the first thing could be that this is a mechanical issue. The water just can't get out of the eye. The, the other possibility is that this cat, um, due to immunocompromise or um, due to the fact that they're not able to form a very good response against the herpes virus, is what we call a chronic sufferer. So... Cats who develop herpes virus can actually fall into three categories. The first category are cats who get it once, their immune system puts it into, into what we call almost a remission-like state, and they don't show other signs. The second category are cats who intermittently will have shedding of the virus, called, called recrudescence, and that shedding just means that they'll have some of the symptoms some of the time. And then there are the third category of cats whose immune system is very um, unable to control the virus and they have the, the symptoms all of the time and there can be varying degrees of severity. So um, a cat with herpes virus needn't have every box ticked in that list mm. of, of conditions that can be displayed by herpes virus. They may only manifest ocular or they may only manifest nasal or they may, may manifest combinations of the two. So I think in this circumstance, what I would probably advise advise you to do is um, revisit your vet and look at perhaps having the nasolacrimal duct flushed to see whether that duct is patent um, mm -hmm. and also you can herpes virus is often uh, worsened by uh, stress and, and so some cats who are under a degree of stress will actually have more likelihood of the virus causing those signs. So look for things that may be causing stress in your household that may increase the likelihood that the virus won't be contained. Right. So we, it, since it's 
only affecting one eye, could it still be herpes? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Disappointingly, okay. the herpes doesn't follow any rules. It can have a lot of different clinical signs in lots of different cats at different times. Well, Lynn, good luck following that uh, next train of investigation there. Hopefully you can um, find a bit of an answer for your kitty cat. We're going to go to Sharon now. Sharon, you're in Stroud and you've also got a question about your cat. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Um, I've got two cats and they're about five years old and they're um, perfectly healthy but when they're come and sit on your lap in the evening and they do that kneading thing that they do with their claws every now and then and then they settle down, they drool yep. how do you, what is that drooling, it's, just, it's so disgusting <laughs> that you keep wanting to shove them off and they want they want cuddles but it's just disgusting Yeah, so so I, I know it's disgusting for us but, but that's actually a contentment sign. So, so, oh, really? so what's happening is your, your cat has reached such a lovely state of contentment that you're getting some hypersalivation. Oh, it's it's not, not illness-related. It, it is a behavioural no. response. It's like me when I sleep. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. So it's, it's just a happy cat. So um, oh, really? what, what I would suggest might be your simplest is to enable you to still have that bond with your cat. Sit on your... So when you sit down, grab a towel and have your towel on your lap so that your cat can yeah. still give the bonding that it wants to do, the attention for both of you to enjoy, but you've got a dry yeah. lap. Ah, uh, yeah, all right. Sharon, you could buy some baby bibs and put on the cat. <laughs> oh, it's just not down the cat. It lands on your knees. It lands on your legs. Yeah, oh. yeah. You get up, oh, it's just dreadful. Put it this way, though. You're doing something right yes, there. Yes, they I mean, love for you. A, for a cat to do that for you, they love you. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Anyway, thank you. Oh. No problems at all. (laughs) Good on you. Oh, Sharon, that's funny. It sounds like she's obviously a great pet owner. Of course. She's not enjoying the grueling. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it comes down to what humans think is a good thing and what animals think is a good thing. And that that cat's a very happy cat. It's it's not unwell. (laughs) I guess, like, you know, there's dogs that drool. There's breeds of dogs that drool. You don't come across cats too often that are drooling, I guess. Yeah, yeah. when they're they're really relaxed and happy, that, that can be a really common response. It's like when I see chocolate cake. Oh, yeah. I'm feeling you. I mean, we can't help that, can we? get excited, we get happy, and then the, the, the adrenal ducks. Exactly. That's it. Uh, we're talking pet chat. We can answer any of your questions. You're on fire today, Paul. You're getting lots of different ones, which is nice. The herpes one is a very big category. Um, same yep. as herpes in people. It's a frustrating condition. Um, it doesn't go away. Yeah. And, and so it can be quite challenging. But I think it's always important to remember that even though your, your animals had a diagnosis, there can be other reasons that can be causing the same signs. It's always good to get that recheck if you need to. We've got uh, Justine who's driving. Oh, yeah, you are. Justine, it's very loud. Uh, did you have a question about your bulldog? Yes. Her name's Lulubelle and she's nearly three years old and she used to be really good. I have another dog, a miniature English Bull Terrier, and he's six. They're good friends, but just like the last year... I can't take her to the park and let her off the lead anymore because she's just, she's so aggressive. She's seen someone way across the park and then she looks at them and then before I know she's taken off after them and I have to yell out, say hi Lulu, say hi Lulu, so she doesn't, so she doesn't. Sure, so is, is the aggression di- directed towards other dogs or other people? Everybody. Okay. It's, 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 if she doesn't like you or doesn't know you, she just... She goes from 
calm to just aggro. Yeah, okay. And so certainly there, I, I would be strongly advocating no off-lead areas, obviously, because the risk is too high. Um, yes. Now, with a sudden change in that sort of behaviour, there can be either a medical reason, so there, there may be a, a medical condition such as pain or a central nervous system disorder that can change behaviours. So dogs who develop um, in, uh, brain issues uh, medically may manifest the early signs of that might be behaviour rather than seizures or the classic things we see with that sort of thing. So certainly I would suggest talking to your vet about whether there is any medical reasons that would make um, her un- unhappy. So if, you're, if you've got sore joints, if you've got pain in other areas, your tolerance for change and for other animals is very low. So that would be the first thing to sort of rule out, but there's not a medical reason to cause the change. If that's been ruled out, then we are looking at behavioural changes and these will generally, in a situation like this, be a fear response where the actual aggression is more about trying to get the animal or the person away from them before they try to hurt them. And in those circumstances, you'll need to go right back to if you're a puppy again and start your desensitisation and your rehabituation to, to areas in a very safe way. So in a park area, you wouldn't obviously use an off-lead park, but you might take her to a, a park bench in, a, in a, an area where people walk past and when she sees another person, if she remains calm, you pay that with a, a treat reward. If she starts to react, then we don't give any reinforcement at all. And what you're trying to do is just show her that people coming past and dogs coming past are not there to hurt her. Okay, some good advice there. We're going to go to Helen now in East Maitland. You've got a question about your cat. Yes, my, I have two cats. They're both 11, but my female cat, she goes out and eats um, cat grass and when she comes back in, she's been vomiting it up. Yeah. How frequently is she vomiting? Um, she was doing it almost every day last week. Yeah. So certainly cats do have a, um, a, a behavioural tendency to vomit. Um, but when you've got a daily frequency, that would indicate that there is something wrong. Has there been any change in diet? No. Okay, so in which case then I would certainly suggest this would be a good opportunity to take your cat along to your vet um, in that that frequency of vomiting would be abnormal and therefore there may be something happening such as infection or inflammation. Um, Vomiting, disappointingly, is a very vague clinical sign. It can be uh, linked to lots of conditions, but I, I think certainly in this circumstance with that frequency I would have that checked by a vet for you. Okay, then. Thank you. No problems. Best of luck. Thanks, Helen. We've got Daphne from Jerry's Plains. You've got a question about your puppy, Daphne. Yes, I do. Um, I've got a 17-week-old Labrador puppy uh, and a 13-week-old um, Anatolian Shepherd cross uh, uh, St. At the same puppy. time? Oh, wow. Well, okay. Well, we had the first the Labrador, and uh, she just got so lonely and bored that... Um, we decided to get another one, and the second one, she's beautiful. But my problem is, we've had her less than a week, and she's a rescue dog, um, and we've got a little bit of food aggression, not yeah. towards humans, um, but towards the older puppy. Yeah. And it's getting better, but I was just wondering if there's something that I can do that I, like I can hand feed both of them head to head, and there's no aggression there. It's just when um when they're by themselves. 
certainly what you're doing uh, already is is the first step. It is important that they are separated to feed. Um, you've got two very different dog sizes and two very different dog breeds together. And so there are going to be differences in how they behave um, by their breed predisposition as well as how they work in your social environment. So the most mm-hmm. important is we do not... Um, uh, place in a situation where aggression can be manifested so that we yep. don't end up with two dogs who can't stand the sight of each other. So at this age, it's really critical that all the experiences that are being um, that are occurring for both puppies are positive ones. So in this circumstance, you would feed them in... in you could even be in separate areas... Yep. Um, yeah, so that you can physically have that happening and the food bowls and the food, if any, is left over, is taken away. Yes. Now, yes, this will also do the same for toys and anything which we would call a treasured resource or a guarded resource. So, um, any, don't any... react to that at all. Now. They now, don't react yes. now. So when you've already got some signs happening, it's just be really careful about how you introduce those. Um, okay. and, and it might not be a bad idea when game time is over, but those toys are all collected up as well so that nobody gets ownership of those toys. The ownership is okay. yours, not the puppies. In that we just want to be very careful if there's already been some challenges in this socialisation window for them. We don't want to uh-huh. have that... Uh, further enraged by producing more things that may become competitive. Okay, that's yeah. good. At the moment, they're exactly the same size and weight, um, and they absolutely adore each other. It's just a food. Yeah, that, um, yeah. so, um, and, and there is a... It's a little different because you've got two of the two different breeds, but there is a situation in puppies called sibling rivalry where animals the same age and the same height um, and often weight don't really have um, uh, an ability to separate who would come out better in a fight and so often oh. will fight. So it's about trying to... They often will have this sort of, well, maybe I, I want that toy, I'm a bit bigger than them, um, They'll, they'll defer. But when you've got animals the same size and age, there can be a very high risk of sibling rivalry, even though they're not from the same litter. So I would okay. be, I'd be really conscious in this situation where you're already getting some signs at a young age to take this very carefully. Um, enrol them in puppy preschool, but don't take them to the same one together. So they go to separate classes on separate days so that they are having separate independent time and they're learning to socialise without each other. Um, your Anatoly Shepherd in particular, make sure there's lots of socialisation for those because they can be quite nervous animals genetically okay. and, and it's really critical. Your Labrador, not quite so, but still important to be using the same rules for both. Wow, really good advice. I did, wouldn't have known to take Thank them separately. Thank you so much. No problems. Thanks, Daphne. We're going to go to Cole now from Rutherford. You've got a question about your dog today. Yes. When you take her out on the lead or any time, if she goes crazy at another dog, try to get there. And it's the same if she spots a cat, she nearly goes crazy. I don't know what it is. Sure. How old is your dog? And and what what breed did you say she was? She's a miniature fox terrier. Okay, so what we're looking at in this situation is um, the bluff. So what's happening is that because your dog is slightly nervous about meeting these other animals out on in the area, the, the dogs, I guess, we'll start with dogs first. When you're a little dog um, and you're out in, a, in an area, uh, particularly when you're on lead, 
you need, if you feel threatened, to try and scare the other animal away because you're on a lead, you can't run away, um, so you, um, freezing won't work either, so you've only got fight left. So what is possibly happening here is your dog is trying to bluff the other animal away, look big and look tough and look scary, hoping that that'll stop the other dog from trying to hurt them. So um, one of the ways to try and work with that one is, again, this idea of desensitisation where they're seeing other animals but from a much greater distance. So um, walking, if you're, uh, if, if you liken it to a, if you're a little dog and you're on a bicycle, if you're a human on a bicycle, if you see another bicycle come towards you, you're fairly relaxed. If you're on a bicycle and a semi-trailer comes at you, you become quite anxious. So small dogs are slightly more likely to use this bluff technique to try and scare other animals away and keep themselves safe. Um, with your cats, you've got a terrier. Terriers like to chase. The cat is a game. Correct. Yeah. So that that's just that 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 instinct to try and chase. Um, less about fear, but more about responsive. Mm, okay. There you go. We're talking pet chat. I don't know if we have time for any more calls today. Uh, we haven't quite got to our our topic on potential health risks with taking our, our okay. pets to the park. We're, we're either, here to but... answer the, the the questions. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I, no. I, I would only add to that is that. Just make sure your animals are vaccinated prior to going to any group area. And even um, uh, if they are vaccinated, kennel cough is easily transferred in group situations. So if you do have one of those shared water bowls in a park, tip the water out before you let your dog drink from that. Or better still, take your own water in your own receptacle so that that dog's not drinking shared water. So I thought, I wasn't sure with kennel cough whether you had to be coughed on or whether... No, you can collect it from shared water... Uh, quite easily so in actually most commonly it's transferred by drinking water okay and of course there is a lot of shared water bowls uh, at Absolutely. these parks yep. so what what else are we seeing coming out so kennel cough is obviously a, a bit of an issue but what other things are we seeing that our dogs can potentially pick up from these parks yeah so so most commonly to be honest that the the thing that people catch from from parks is bad behavior okay so so witnessing animals behaving badly is often mimicked by other dogs as well so um as well as the the risk of um kennel cough the other one we commonly see are fleas yeah so just make sure that you're covering yourself with fleas um uh the soil will have eggs the the larvae can be there as well so particularly in summer areas just make sure your parasite controls are up to date before you enter those off-lead areas in particular some really good stuff daniel carrington thank you so much for coming in today and bringing mel in to chat to us some really interesting stuff there great topic i think it's important do you take your dogs to the doggy park uh well our dogs go to the dog shows okay uh, so they get to interact with dogs to a certain extent there sure plus we're like we have three acres but it's not that often we'll go to doggy parks yeah, yes. <laughs> you've got your twins as well, so you've pretty much got your hands full. That's right. You need yeah, a exactly. semi-trailer to get there <laughs> with yep. your dogs at the Walking kids. around the neighbourhood. <laughs> Fair enough. Dr Paul McCarthy, thank you for coming in and Pleasure. answering our questions today. And uh, thank you for your questions. We've had some really interesting ones.